What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalaga. So here we are live tonight in the studio in WZBC's studio on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Just before I started this episode, I just played Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. My mom's a big fan of that song, so I figured it's a good way to start it. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Hopefully everyone had a great day, beautiful day out here in Boston. It uh, wasn't the warmest day, but it was sunny. If you're in the sun, it was beautiful. So uh, we'll take it every day we can get any day that's sunny. So in tonight's episode, I'm going to break down the bean pot. Going to have the legend Mark Walsh come on and talk about Northeastern hockey getting their fourth bean pot win in the last five years. Last night, first ever time that Northeastern played Harvard in a bean pot final. It took 70 years for that to happen. Northeastern ends up getting the better of Harvard last night in a shootout, which was also the first shootout in Beanpot history. Uh, and I'm not the biggest fan of a shootout determining a game, but at the end of the day, that's just the way the game was determined. If you want to win the game and it goes out in a shootout, you got to win. You have no other option. So Northeastern's only option last night was to win in that, and that's you know the rules that you have to play by. So Northeastern gets a win. That was obviously great. Going to have the legend Mark Walsh come on and talk about that. Uh, we'll also probably talk about the Super Bowl as well. I'll have... Paul from Southie on for the beginning of the episode. He's going to talk about the Super Bowl. Maybe talk some BC hockey, BC football, BC basketball. We really talk everything every time he comes on. So we'll probably touch upon just about every sport uh, in tonight's episode, as we typically try to at least. Um, I was going to maybe talk about the NBA trade deadline, but I think I'll probably do that in a podcast upload uh, in the next few days since um, a lot of those trades were, you know, trades not involving the Celtics. And you guys know I'm an LA Clippers fan. There were some trades involving them, but I feel it's better for a podcast upload uh, than having that live on air. So anyways, to get things started, I'm going to have Paul from Southie come on. He'll talk about uh, the bean pot to start out. Maybe maybe the Super Bowl. See where we start out. Um, obviously, the Super Bowl was just a couple days ago now. Super Bowl Sunday uh, should be a holiday uh, on the Monday after, which uh, it's always a tough day going back to school the next day if you either won in the Super Bowl because you know you're on the highest of highs, or if they your team loses the Super Bowl, you don't really want to do anything the next day. So I think the next day should be a Super Bowl uh, a holiday the day after Super. Bowl. I think that should be a legit thing. I'll see if that becomes you know a legitimate holiday in the future, but. Anyways, going to Paul from Southie come on. We'll probably touch upon every sport as I typically always do with them. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, the sports legend, Mark Walsh, will be coming on and talking sports. And anybody else in between, I, I, I got to get my friend Timmy Loftus on air at some point as well. If he wants to come on tonight as well, you're always welcome, Tim. So uh, just let me know in a text. Uh, so I'll get Paul from Southie on in just a second. Uh, and we'll talk everything sports as we always do. So just give me one second. I'll be back with you guys in 30 seconds. Here he is, Paul from Southie. How are we doing tonight, Paul? Joe, we're doing good. How are you doing today? Doing well. Happy to have you back on air. You're always a regular guest on the show and one of the best in the business. So thank you for coming on and taking the time. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure here, too. Thank you. So what do you want to start out with? Do you want to start out with the Eagles and the Chiefs Super Bowl? Do you want to start out with the Bean Pot? Talk about BC getting a big win yesterday with BU. We can really start anywhere, so you let me know. I would say the Super Bowl is the hottest topic. Okay, let's start there. Let's start with the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Eagles coming into that game with a favorite by, I believe, it was a point and a half. Chiefs get the better of them. I thought the Eagles had a better roster. I thought they had the better team, and that's why I went with them. Although I, you can never really count out Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and they showed just why on Sunday. Obviously, had a big Super Bowl win. But going into that game, I was worried for Kansas City. I thought the Eagles' defense, which I, they didn't even generate a sack. You would have thought they'd get a sack. They didn't even get one sack. The team that led the NFL in sacks this year with seventy, and in the second most sacks. In NFL history in a single season, didn't even register a sack in the Super Bowl. Like, that's the craziest part of the game in my eyes. It was a big surprise. And um, I know Kansas City's offensive line is decent, but they I didn't think they were that good. And Mahomes' uh, um, mobility was somewhat compromised with the ankle. But 
I guess a big factor was the turf. It was so slippery that I think that helped quarterbacks elude. You know, I don't think like Hassan Reddick could get a good lift off the ground to you know to get a little more pressure on him. Definitely, I would agree. I think the conditions of the fields were unfair to both teams. They got to be better. I mean, it's a Super Bowl. You should have better conditions. I don't know. How the NFL, uh, you know, tests the fields and stuff before the game, but you had to have known it was going to be slippery, you know, pregame warms. You got to figure something out a day or two before that. You got to check it and see what see what the conditions are like. You know that that can't be a thing like that. Do you agree? Oh yeah, I, I can't believe in a Super Bowl game they would have to have that problem where you know the footing was a big issue. I, I I'm surprised that that it got that far. That's the problem. I don't think it should ever be like that in a Super Bowl. It's unfair to both teams. It's unfair to both teams, uh, but. In the big in the game, the biggest obviously game of the season, Patrick Holmes still had the ankle injury. He could still he was banged up. At one point, he got tackled and, and got rolled up on his ankle. And uh, when he was making a scramble, and and he got up, winced, went to the sidelines, and came back out and still played very well. Finished the game twenty one of twenty seven, one eighty two passing and three touchdowns. Also added in six carries of forty four yards. Showed a lot of mobility in that game, even with the ankle injury. Uh, but what you see in that game for both quarterbacks, obviously Jalen Hurts. Played very well, 15 carries, 70 yards, three touchdowns. Actually, is now the second player in NFL history in the Super Bowl with a three-touchdown game. I believe the other one was Terrell Davis. Now Jalen Hurts was the second one. And then you also have Jalen Hurts passing with 27 completions and 38 attempts, 304 yards, and a touchdown. What do you see out of both those quarterbacks in the game? Obviously, both of them played very well, very well. But obviously, Mahomes gets the better at the end of the day, getting the win. I was very impressed with Jalen Hurts. I, I know it was a huge stage for him, but um, I, I would say he delivered. I, I can remember really just one bad play when he, he probably should have either taken the sack or, or got rid of the ball, but that fumble for a touchdown was obviously a you know huge mistake. But other than that, I think he was accurate. I know he could, he still he still ran real well. I mean, he, he made the throws. I mean, he, he really had a good game outside of that one play. On, on the other hand, I think Mahomes was 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 just full of um, execution. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he missed too many open guys. I know he didn't have to pass a lot, but Kansas City ran the ball well. But Mahomes, um, I can't believe there were no sacks. Yeah, and, and and the fact that they ran the ball well, it kept Philly's defense on edge. And 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 to this day, I still can't believe how Travis Kelsey gets open all the time because um, I I don't know how many times he was targeted, but it seemed like every time he was targeted. It was a completed pass. That's that's the thing with Kelsey every week. He was targeted six times, six catches, 81 yards and a touchdown, a long of 22 in that game. Uh, and Mahomes obviously loves finding him, and, and he's always open somehow. You're right. That's that's the main thing. He's always open. Mahomes' longest completion in the game is only 22 yards. He usually has, you know, 35, 40-yard plays. You know, if you look at Jalen Hurts, he had two 45-yard pass completions, one of them being to Devontae Smith and one of them being to A.J. Brown on a touchdown. The next drive, though, after that, the next offensive drive after throwing the 45-yard touchdown pass with uh, 14 minutes and 52 seconds left to go in the second quarter, so just the beginning of the second quarter, the Eagles are up 14-7. They get the ball back after the Chiefs can't get anything going, and then there you go, the Jalen Hurts strip sack, Nick Bolton, 36-yard fumble return for a touchdown, tying the game 14-14, uh, and obviously that's a big momentum swing there. Uh, at halftime, it was 24-14. The Eagles still were up 10, and obviously, you know, the second half, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid went to work uh, and obviously got the win. But there's a lot to break down in the game. You can talk about James Bradbury's hold. I know a lot of people were against that holding call. It was a hold at the end of the day. If you see the standstill picture, you see him grabbing the jersey of Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, that hindered Juju on his route. He was going to do, uh, you know, a route to the outside, and obviously getting pulled there, you know, stopped him from gaining momentum and getting to the outside to get to that ball. So... 
I, I think it's a tough call, obviously, to make in that moment, but a hold's a hold, and, and it comes down to the referee's discretion. Uh, what do you see there in that play? Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, it was a hold. They, I, I think they have to call it. Um, and, and the fact that all the Eagles fans are so upset, you know, with the timing of the play, because it gave Kansas City a first down when they, if, if it's just an incomplete pass, they probably have to go for the field goal then. And then Philadelphia has like a whole minute instead of, like, uh, whatever they had, 20 seconds to try to move the ball down the field for a field goal. So, yeah, I mean, there was a lot on that play, but I agree with you. A hold's a hold. You saw it clearly. I mean, Bradbury, all-pro corner that he is, he, he admitted he grabbed the jersey and held him. I mean, yep. there's really no way that the ref can't throw the flag. It was right there. You're right. You're right. Uh, but one thing for the Eagles that played well in the game, obviously, was Jalen Hurts, we said he. I mean, he showed up and played. Jalen Hurts showed him and played. I know there was a lot of criticism around you know, shoulder injury, whether or not he'd be able to step up and play in the playoffs. But he made a great run, obviously, brought them to the Super Bowl. So that's obviously a positive. As for the Chiefs, though, one play we didn't mention, former New York Giant, Kadarius Tony had a very good game. Had a five-yard touchdown catch that actually gave Kansas City the lead 28-27, their first lead of the game. They got 28-27 with 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Patrick Holmes gets the ball to Kadarius Tony in space, uh, which was a well-executed play by Kansas City. They set a guy in motion. Uh, put Kadarius Tony in motion. It obviously drags uh, the defensive back out uh, of coverage, and and Kadarius Tony just does you know zig back to the outside, finds the ball, uh, has a wide open space to get to the end zone, ends up scoring on that play. Uh, Kadarius Tony also had a huge punt return, right? That, that was probably one of the biggest turning points in the game. Was that punt return by Kadarius Tony, sixty five yard punt return, which was actually the longest. In Super Bowl history for a punt return, 65 yards. He had two punt returns of 77 yards in the game. Obviously, he's a game-breaker with the speed, but uh, you got to say happy for Tony, even though it didn't work out in New York. Oh, that was a major play, that punt return. Uh, I didn't realize it was a record-setting uh, punt return with yardage-wise in the Super Bowl, but it was, it was, uh, was it the last drive for the winning field goal? Or was it uh, I believe it was a second-to-last drive, which I'll double-check here right now. Just give me one second. I will let you know in you know 15 seconds here, but... Um, yeah, it was a great drive, though. Great drive there for Kansas City. They ended up getting, I believe, a touchdown on that drive, right? And that obviously triggered you know, them getting the win at the end of the day. Uh, let me see. Kadarius, Tony. I want to make sure I get this right here. They had all the momentum. Everything was going Kansas City's way in the second half. Yeah, that's a big difference. Momentum, momentum's a legitimate thing. Yeah, absolutely. Kadarius, Tony had a 65-yard punt return with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, which did set up uh, a four-yard touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes to Sky Moore. Sky Moore gets actually his first touchdown reception, uh, I believe it was of his career in that game. Boy, yeah, that was great. Rookie yes. receiver out of Western Michigan. I was a big fan of him since he played in the Mac and obviously gets the biggest touchdown of his life and the biggest moment, giving Kansas City a 35-27 to lead after Harrison Butker got the extra point to go. And then that, that ends up being uh, you know, one of the biggest plays of the game because it ends up being 35-35. Then you get a field goal, 27-yard field goal from Harrison Butker with 11 seconds to go, and you win the game 38-35. So last touchdown of the game for Kansas City was that four-yard touchdown pass to Sky Moore. Then, obviously, the Eagles responded, getting a touchdown uh, and a conversion from Jalen Hurts uh, with five minutes to go. They had a two-yard rush attempt from Jalen Hurts, two-yard touchdown. They ended up getting the conversion as well on a run play as well by Jalen Hurts. So Hurts was very effective on the ground. But then you look on the other side, Kansas City's – offensive line, you know, has been good all season, right? It's a good offensive line, but you'd never say that the Eagles would only get seven pressures on Patrick Mahomes and didn't get a sack at all. You would never say that, especially on the year, and this is, this is according to Next Gen Stats, the Eagles converted 32.1% of their pressures into sacks this season, the third highest rate since 2016. 
Patrick Mahomes since 2018 has been sacked 15.2% uh, of the time. Sack rate 15.2%, which is number one in the NFL. So obviously he gets rid of the ball very well under pressure. He's only sacked 15% of the time. But you look at it, they only had seven pressures on him. You would never have thought that before that game. I was totally surprised with that. I, I know Philly's defense was great, but I, I only saw them a few times during the year, of course, against the Giants. And I, I thought if, if somehow you could contain the rush and give your quarterback time like when Daniel Jones had some time, I think you can throw on those guys. Because uh, I know that a couple of times during the year, they they let up like 30 points to um, a couple of Scrabini teams. Washington. Uh, Washington scored 30 on them in that Monday night game, was it right? I think um, some teams that were struggling – didn't Jacksonville almost beat him at the time? Uh, Talking the Eagles, right? Yeah, I guess the Eagles. I, my, my point is... 32-21, uh, Washington beat them in uh, November. Control. You're right. No, it makes a difference. If Heineken can score 30 on them, right? I mean, obviously Patrick Holmes can put up points as well. Uh, my prediction originally was 31-27 with it being Kansas City losing the game. I thought it would come down to the last possession was the ball last, and that's ultimately what it was, even though Jalen Hurts obviously had you know one play at the end to try to get a pass off. Uh, and obviously couldn't reach, you know, from the 35-yard. They couldn't reach 65 yards to the end zone. It's really 75 yards, basically, if you, you know, drop it back. You have to really air it out. Uh, it's tough to really get that. Um, uh, but Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, right? And this was this run. 72 pass completions in 100 attempts, so 72% completion percentage. 703 pass yards, 7 touchdowns, 0 picks, and a Super Bowl MVP. Obviously playing with that high ankle sprain as well. Uh, and ends up finishing... The Super Bowl as Super Bowl MVP. Now is two time, uh, now is a two time Super Bowl MVP, two time Super Bowl champ, two time MVP winning the MVP vote for this season. Is a five time Pro Bowler in five seasons as an NFL starter. What a career for Patrick Mahomes so far, huh? He's certainly fun to watch. I mean, uh, he never gives up on a play, he doesn't make that many mistakes. He has great accuracy, great mobility, and most, of, I mean, besides the great arm, he has a great head. I don't, I don't see him throw into double coverage too often. Um, he has all the tools. I agree with you there. And obviously having Andy Reid as your head coach uh, is definitely a big advantage. And Andy Reid will be back. Obviously that was the storyline before the game was, could this potentially be Andy Reid's last game coaching for the Kansas City Chiefs? He ultimately is going to stay uh, for another year, it seems like, which is which is good for Kansas City. Obviously you don't want to lose your head coach. Um, but Jalen Hurts, though, overall in the game, I'm going to switch back to the Eagles. Besides Jalen Hurts, and he showed up, played well. Obviously, the offense played well, you know, too. But the defense fell apart in the second half. The defense fell apart for, uh, for the Philadelphia in the second half, giving up 24 points in the second half, including 17 in the fourth quarter. 17 in the fourth quarter. And the Eagles only got 11 points in the second half. They were outscored 24-11 in the second half. And so, it's only going to get worse because they just lost their defensive coordinator. He took a head coaching job. Yes. Yeah, he did. He did end up leaving. I know Easy e my boy Eric's a big fan of the Eagles. He's not a big fan of the D.C., so he's happy with him leaving. Uh, I believe he's going to Arizona. He was happy with that move. Uh, but the Eagles are in trouble to a degree because they have negative $3 million in cap space, and also they have a ton of free agents. Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox Brandon Graham, Javon Hargrave, um, Jason Kelsey. Uh, Jalen Hurts wants an extension. He's still under contract, but he wants a $50 million per year extension. they got a lot of decisions to make. Miles Sanders is another one they got to figure things out and figure out what they're going to do. Uh, and, and right now, they're sitting with you know negative $3 million in cap, which you never want to be in that position as a franchise. It looks impossible that they're going to be able to retain all the guys that you mentioned. I know they got a ton of free agents that you listed them then. How, I know that 
Roseman is the is the GM that built them so quick. It was a miracle that he got them from Doug Peterson's last year to like what two or three years later they're in the Super Bowl, looking like the best team all year. But they have to pay a price, and definitely they can retain these guys and and resign Jalen Hurts for that much money. Yeah, it's isn't that crazy? No, it's crazy. I I, I don't see them getting back there because the talent is just going to get you know take a major hit. And one thing I want to mention in that game, and I would agree with you there, I think obviously not going to be able to retain all that talent, especially considering some of those guys are going to want to go go and get some money. Javon Hargrave, you know, really had a career year this year, 11 sacks. He's going to go to, go get himself some money, maybe $18 million in the open market. And I don't know if Philadelphia's going to give him that money, especially considering you still want to pay a guy like Fletcher Cox, who had 11 sacks this year. you got to really figure out, you know, what you're going to do. And it really comes down to decision-making of give and take. Who do you want to keep? Who do you want to get rid of? That That's what it comes down to. Just like the Giants. Saquon Barkley wants his payday, and even though the Giants are still in deep talks trying to figure it out, it's give and take. Do you want to give Saquon Barkley $14, $15 million if you could draft a guy like Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round who goes 15 carries of 76 yards in the touchdown in the Super Bowl? I mean, it's tough, although I want to keep Saquon. It's just a point that sometimes you can find cheaper options in the draft or find replacements in the open market for cheaper rather than paying the guys you have now. It obviously comes down to decision-making, right? No, it's a, it's a very tough job. I. I can see the older guys like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham that you mentioned. You know, they'll probably, you know, they can take a hometown discount and stay. I mean, Fletcher Cox has been in the league so many years. I, I don't think he'd want to change his, you know, his surroundings. But it's the young guys that they're not going to be able to keep. Because they're going to want the payday that Philadelphia just won't be able to, to give them. Definitely. So we'll see what happens there. And a couple other stats I want to mention. Jalen Hurts' 70 yards rushing was actually a Super Bowl record for a quarterback uh, in rush yards in a single Super Bowl game. Then also, Jalen Hurts is the second highest grade, according to PFF Pro Football Focus, since 2006 in the Super Bowl with a 92.2 rating, which is the second best. Nick Foles is number one with 92.3 in 2017. Then you had Eli Manning at fifth. In 2011 with a 91.5 rating. And you had Patrick Mahomes in this year's Super Bowl with an 89.5 rating, which is sixth best uh, since 2006 in quarterback ratings, according to PFF, in the Super Bowl. So both quarterbacks played pretty well. But as you said, that was a big decision. Our big turning point in the game was Jalen Hurts fumbling the ball. And obviously that's a big deciding factor in who won the game. Giving up a touchdown on defense is huge momentum. Huge momentum. Especially considering when Kansas City couldn't move the ball and you get a touchdown uh, defense. I mean, it, light, it lights up the team. You, you, you're down 14-7. You had one touchdown in the first quarter in five minutes, and you get a huge touchdown, a 36-yard fumble return, and that's a huge swing of momentum. No question. Um, you got to figure that Philadelphia, if they don't turn the ball over, they were just going to go down the field again and score. Definitely. Uh, I don't think they, what, they punt one time in the first half? Philadelphia? Yeah, I believe it was just once. One and, time, Kansas City couldn't stop them. Kansas City's defense stepped up in the second half, though, only giving up 11 points. And obviously, uh, they only had two sacks in the game. Leo Chanel and then Kaywin Saunders um, had a couple sacks. Only one of them was a real sack. I think, you know, Philadelphia may, may, maybe just got tackled behind the line of scrimmage at one point, uh, you know, just on a QB scramble or something. I think they only had one legit sack. To my knowledge, maybe, only, maybe it was less than that. I'm not sure. But there wasn't really too much of a pass rush in the game uh, by either team. No, and I attribute it to the turf. Um, and I know that Philadelphia has a great offensive line. I'm sure that Hurts wasn't sacked much during the year, but um, plus he has great mobility. So even if they got pressure on him the few times that they did, he seemed to escape it every time. And I was surprised Mahomes, um, you know, he wasn't sacked. That was a, almost a miracle because his ankle 
looked like he got, you know, hurt at the end of the half pit, and he came back, and it didn't seem to slow him down at all. You're right, and you were you drilled it. Kansas City only forced one punt of Philadelphia in the first half, and that was in the, in the first quarter with 6.57 to go. Um, and one other, one other thing I wanted to mention, Kansas City scored on four straight drives in the second half. Four drives out of four drives in the second half, they scored on three touchdowns and a field goal, going 75 yards, 75 yards, five yards, and 66 yards. Always that five-yard touchdown uh, you know, uh, drive was credited to Canaris Tony's ridiculous punt return, uh, you know, getting that 65-yard uh, return around the edge. So what a run there for Kansas City in the second half, though. Four straight drives scoring on to close out the game and obviously end up winning. Uh, now their second Super Bowl in the last five years, and obviously now Patrick Holmes gets his second Super Bowl ring, uh, which is pretty impressive. They won in 2020 against Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City beat San Francisco and now get their second Super Bowl ring since 2020, which is, which is very impressive. Yep, there's there's not too many uh, guys or quarterbacks that have won two Super Bowl MVPs. So for Mahomes to do that at what is he twenty seven? Yep. I mean he's got a, such a bright future ahead. I hope Andy Reid. I, I know he's going to stay now, but I mean if they can stay together with you know Andy Reid's creativity, and I, I I think they got a pretty much a young team. I mean look at the young talent they have. I I can't see them not getting back to the championship game. Uh, you know in the next couple of years, like every year. Yeah, they could do it. They have the ability to do it, for sure. Uh, and one thing I want to mention while we're talking about, obviously, Patrick Holmes in, in Kansas City and, and what they're going up against in the AFC, you're a big fan of Joe Burrow, as I am as well, and I'm excited to see what that team looks like uh, next year. I think they could give Kansas City maybe a run if they could just figure out that offensive line a little. But that's one team in the AFC you got to worry about if you're a, a Chiefs fan. But, they, I mean, they have a chance to go to the Super Bowl every year when you have Patrick Holmes as your quarterback. No question that the Bengals are a dangerous team. I mean, it's hard to stop that offense. I mean, they move the ball so well with Burrow. He's got a great arm, can throw the deep ball. Obviously, he's got the great weapons um, from Jamar Chase to T. Higgins. Um, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon. I, I like the running backs. I, I, I like Burrow. He, he has all the tools as well. Taylor's, is it Taylor's the coach? He's Zach Taylor, coach. yep. You got it. Um, and between them and Kansas City, obviously, they're the two best teams, in my opinion, in the AFC and maybe in all of football. So, uh yeah, it'll be those two teams again, I think, meeting in the championship game next year. I would love to see it. It'd be a fun one to watch. And uh, one last thing I want to mention, which we'll still have Giants offseason talk for sure. Uh, but one thing I want to mention is Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. We'll see what happens with both of those guys. But what do you see in the future of Daniel Jones, Saquon? Do you think they're both back in New York next year or one or the other? Neither? What do you think? Uh, well, I've had the feeling since the offseason started that how can they not sign Daniel Jones? I, I can't see them... Like, look, let's scrap the plan we got now. We, we had such a successful first year with this new regime. I think Daniel Jones checked all the boxes. I mean, I would think he's a guarantee. They're going to pay him his money. Eli came out in support of him. And I think some other analysts are saying, um, but just, just ask yourself one question. Who's better than Daniel Jones that you're going to bring in here? You're and right. No, and as far as Barkley, I mean, I, I want him back as much as the next guy. But at a good point earlier... You can get a running back like Pacheco in the seventh round and pay him peanuts compared to what, you know, what you're going to have to pay Barkley. I mean, we both like Brightwell. Love Brightwell. Uh, I, I think explosive. He's shifty. Obviously, he's got great speed. I think he holds on to the ball. Um, it, it's it's going to be tough, and I'm afraid, you know, if, I have, if there's a gun to my head, I think Barkley's going to want, want and can get more money from somebody else like a contender. 
you know, that, that is so close to being a Super Bowl caliber team. So I, I'm afraid we're going to lose him, but I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to keep him here in, uh, you know, giant blue. I'd love to keep Saquon as well. I think it comes down to the money. And what I value him at is three years, $42 million. If I was the GM of the Giants, I'd give him $14 million a year. It seems like we're hovering around the 12 or 13 range, and it might come down to how much money is guaranteed. And sometimes you want to give a running back too much guaranteed money like Ezekiel Elliott because then you're on the books for years with him getting dead cap if you want to cut him. Same thing with Chris McCaffrey and the Panthers. They made a good decision getting rid of him since they didn't want to pay a running back all that money when the team needs to spend money elsewhere because they're rebuilding. You know, So paying running backs hasn't really worked out too much in the NFL. Derrick Henry got paid. He's been banged up even though he's still a very good player when he's playing. You got Christian McCaffrey, they have trading him. It didn't really work out for Carolina, but trading him ends up working out very well. But the contract didn't work out when he was there in, in a Panthers uniform. Alvin Kamara gets paid by the Saints. I mean, the Saints, I wouldn't blame him for the reason why the Saints aren't going really anyway. They really, really don't have the quarterback. But factor everything in, running backs getting paid doesn't always work in the NFL. And that's why I worry about Saquon. And that's why I think he might leave the Giants. Even though I would love to pay him 3 is $42 million, I think the Giants might value something else, spending that money elsewhere, like on the offensive line, like getting a wide receiver, like getting a cornerback, like getting a linebacker that can cover a guy in coverage out of, out of the backfield. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's holes to fill, and I think you're right. I don't think Shane is going to want to pay Saquon the money that Saquon wants to stay here. Um, you have to have a great offensive line, but, but you know, all the running backs that you mentioned, I mean, uh, most of them, you know, from Derrick Henry, um, Nick Chubb, I mean, some great backs that they, they can't, you can't carry a team as a running back. You need a good offensive line, a good quarterback weapons. The whole thing has to click like a machine, so you can't invest in a running back. Like, like you said, they get hurt. Look at Tony Pollard in Dallas. He's a free agent. He doesn't get hurt. I would take him in a heartbeat. Yeah, me too. He's a stud. He's a great player. I'm, I'm a big fan of Pollard. He brings a lot of speed out of the backfield, the return game. Obviously, he can catch the ball as well. He's a great player. Yeah, but, no, I, I think the Giants can find one, whether it's in the draft or whether they use Brightwell and they, and they bring in somebody in, somebody else in like a free agent, if Tony Pollard wasn't injured, you know, somebody like that. I, I think there's a lot out there that you can save money at that position, and that's probably what it's going to take Shane to do to keep this team going forward. Definitely. I would agree with you there. We'll see what the Giants do in the draft of the 25th pick. Could potentially be Zay Flowers. Now we can switch gears over and talk about some college sports. We want to talk some BC hockey. BC Women's Hockey is actually in the Beanpot Final tonight versus Northeastern. BC is number 15 in the country uh, in women's hockey, and Northeastern is currently number 5. Uh, this game's at 7.30 at Condi Forum, so just starting about now at 7.30 as we speak. Uh, should be a big game, though, Beanpot Final, which is on Nesson Plus, so I'm sure you'll tune in. You love your BC Eagles. I watch any sport that BC plays in. Yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't know it was on Nesson Plus, so um, I'll probably check it out in a little while. But as far as... Uh the Beanpot coverage, I don't think I talked about it yet with you, but that heartbreak of BC lost last week in overtime. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a killer. I mean, to, to fight back the way they did, have all the momentum, and then just kind of fall asleep defensively. They let that Harvard winger come in, and he was like all alone in front of Benson. One and half seconds to go. No chance with 1.5 seconds to go. I mean, if, if, if that you know time elapses, BC maybe could beat him in a shootout or something, you know? Definitely. But, you know, they have their you know their road is is going to be hard now to try to make it you know try to make the tournament. But um, they got the weapons. I think Benson can play. Um, we love Nestorenko. We what the guy got sick moves. Goal last night right away in the first minute, fifty two oh. seconds of the game. That set the precedent of the game. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I mean to beat BU I, I, again. 
people in Atibaya because they they always win the bean pot. It seems, but um, that was a it should be a huge momentum swing for the Eagle hockey team. I know they got the talent; they can make a run. Um, and you know, I, I think they're pretty healthy right now. Uh, so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and hope they can use this as a you know a launching pad, like a lot of well the Boston teams used to. You know, you get hot right now in February, carry you through the end of the season, and who knows, you could win the uh, hockey's tournament and get the automatic bid. Definitely. And that game yesterday is at least some momentum. BC obviously played two of the best teams in the Beanpot, just like Northeastern, right? Northeastern beat BU and also beat Harvard, two best teams in the Beanpot, both top 10 teams in the country. BC played very well against Harvard last week in the Beanpot semifinal game, losing that game 4-3, like you said. And then they played BU yesterday, still one of the best teams in the country, ranked number five in the Pairwise rankings heading into yesterday. And they win the game 4-2. So that's a big win. Obviously, it shows you can win games against the best teams. But BC heading into that game... We're winless, winless in seven straight games, or eight straight games. It is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight games. BC was winless heading into that game last night. Eight straight games, couldn't get a win. A couple of those were shootout losses, including one, two, Vermont, which actually started the whole downfall, right? BC played Vermont at home two games stretch on Friday and Saturday night, January 20th and 21st. They lost the first game in a shootout, and then lost the second game 3-2 to two in regulation. Then BC ends up losing to BU two times, 6-3, to three, and then 3-1. to one. Lose to Northeastern 2-1 to one at Matthews Arena on a Tuesday night game at the end of January. Then they lose 2-2 two to two in a shootout to UMass Lowell. UMass Lowell's not as good this year as they have been in years past, but still a tough opponent. Then they lose to Harvard last week, right, 4-3 to three in overtime. And then you find, themselves, you find yourselves playing against Maine on Friday night, a chance to get back on track, get some momentum heading into that Beanpot game. They lose 3-1. to one. But with that being said, though, even with, with losing that game to Maine, which they should obviously beat Maine, although Maine's been playing better as of late, and uh, you know, find themselves in the middle of the pack in the Hockey East, BC still rebounds. And I thought that Friday night loss to Maine, I didn't know if that would be the best momentum going into the game against BU, but they still find a way to win. And I said yesterday that even though it's a consolation game, it matters in the record, and it matters for your record, and matters in the paywise rankings. And matters in both. So obviously BC getting that 4-2 win is huge. And like you said, Nikita Nesterenko starting the game, you know, showing off his skills with a goal was huge. And BC ends up going up 2-0 after an Eamon Powell power play goal with 11 minutes into the first period. BC finds themselves tied 2-2 after Jay O'Brien goal from BU. And then BC gets two goals in the last 12 minutes of the game, just about. Andre Gasso and then Trevor Kunta gets an empty net goal. You know, former, uh, he's still a BC player, but uh, Bruins draft pick. Uh, so... Pretty impressive, obviously, with BC getting that win against BU. And they are 2-2 two two against BU on the year, which is really impressive considering BU's only lost, I think, seven or eight games now on the season, two of those being to BC. No, they, they, they seem to rise to the occasion. But, you know, with that losing skid they had, losing to those teams that they're so much better than talent-wise, is, you know, that's a huge bump, and it went on too long. So they really got their work cut out for them to try to get hot now. You know, there's, there's a, you know, the Hockey East is tough. I mean, Connecticut, Providence. Northeastern, Merrimack. Yeah, I mean, uh, look at BU. Merrimack. I Now they're falling, but I think BU's the real deal. I, I, I know you're a Northeastern fan as well, and I, I think Levi was unbelievable in the tournament, but I think BU is, is going to come out of Hockey East. I think they got the, the most talent. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you get a hot goalie like Levi, I mean, especially just the way he played in the, uh, the shootout, he just comes out so far out of there, takes the angle away from the shooter. I mean, a, a hot goalie can carry you, as we know, all the way to the championship. So um, 
Hockey East is going to have a great tournament this year. Definitely. I'm excited to see it. And there's a lot of teams in the middle of the pack, right? So I said UMass Lowell. They're not as good in the years past. Record-wise, they're 15-10-3. It's pretty good. Still middle of the pack in the Hockey East. Fifth out of 11. But you look at their Hockey East record, 9-6-3. UMass Lowell is usually a, a little bit better than that in the Hockey East. Um, they find themselves right now in fifth. But you look at the middle of the pack. you got UMass Lowell, Providence, Maine. All three of those teams are 500 or better. BC's 10-12-6. We know they're better than that talent-wise. So there's eight teams legitimately... That you know, or that should be over five hundred. I mean, BC obviously isn't right now, but that's eight teams out of eleven that should be over five hundred. Obviously, BC is the only one that isn't. But with that being said, I think they will be by the time the hockey East tournament. So that's eight teams legitimately that could, could be competing to win the hockey East tournament. I think BC has a chance. You just got to make a run, kind of like Northeastern did in twenty eighteen. Even though it's an uphill battle, no one ever said it was easy. You know, sometimes that's your only chance to get into the tournament and get into the big dance is winning your conference. You know, tournament. That's what BC is gonna have to do. I mean, there's three teams. At the bottom, UNH, UMass, Amherst, and Vermont, that'll all have an opportunity as well since all 11 teams will make the Hockey East Tournament. So it's really anyone's game. Even if you're at the bottom, you, you're Vermont 9-15-5 on the year, you still have a chance to compete and, and get a chance to get into the tournament. So that's why it's important to play great at the end of the season because you want to be playing great going into that tournament. Oh, yeah, that's no question. I, I, I know that BC, because you know, the way they played BU, even on the um, the first time they met on Jerry York night. They, they lit up them for nine goals. So, you know, they get up for BU, and Northeastern has been like one goal game. So oh, they play Northeastern very hard. They do. They play yes. Northeastern tough. All they got to do is, is you know, play them tough in the tournament again. You know, bounce the puck here or there. And with the talent they have, um, I, I wouldn't count them out yet. They tied Northeastern in the first game of the year. Uh, that was an out-of-conference game, so it wasn't a shootout. Then they played Northeastern home and home in November, lost in a shootout. Uh, that was a Friday night game at Northeastern. BC ended up blowing a three to one lead, a four to one lead. It was, I believe, gave up three straight goals uh, in the third period. Northeast ends up tying that game, and then they end up losing uh, to Northeastern in the shootout. BC ends up losing that game, and then they beat Northeastern the following night three to two. And then they played Northeastern just about a week or two ago, now two weeks ago, and lo- lost only two to one. So they played Northeastern very hard. They played BU very hard. That's the two top teams in the Hockey East. They play very hard, and that could be potentially who they play in the Hockey East tournament in the first round, depending on you know, how things shake out. I believe the top two or three seeds get a first-round bye. Maybe the top four it is. And then five plays 11, six plays 10, seven plays eight. No, maybe it's four plays 11, five plays 10, six plays nine, six, seven plays eight, something like that. Yeah, no, no. Um, I'm looking forward to it. You know, as long as they're healthy... As I said, I, I, I like Benson in the net. Um, you know, uh, I, I think they could make some noise. I don't see them going out like in, in the first round to anybody. I think BC will be over 500 by the time that comes. They have six games left on the season, four of them being against two of the worst teams in the Hockey East, which Maine's not the worst. They're seventh out of 11. But they're 792 in Hockey East play and 13-13-3 overall. Pretty good year for Maine considering you know, they've been at the bottom of the Hockey East the last few seasons. 13-13-3, they're just above BC uh, by three points. They both play the same amount of games. They're above BC by three points. So BC beats them both games to get the advantage over them, right? UMass Amherst is 10th in the Hockey East, which is crazy to say. I mean, they're always top Hockey East, right? They, they've been a powerhouse. They find themselves at 10-13-5 on the year, 4-11-3 in Hockey East play. BC has them the next two games, Friday and Saturday night. Friday at home, Saturday at UMass. Two games you have to win. Very winnable, yes. And then you play Maine at Maine, the 24th and 25th. And then senior night, March 3rd at home versus UConn. And then you travel to UConn for March 4th for the end of the regular season. Crazy season's almost over, huh? Yeah, it went by so fast. 
in a blink. In a blink. But six games to go, I think BC goes around 4-2 and two in that stretch. And with and with that being the record, if they were to go 4-2, and they finish the season 14-14-6 and six, and probably find themselves at 6-7 or seven in the conference, uh, depending on how things shake out. Probably be 7th out of Madison. and 9 points behind Providence right now. But Providence has played two extra games, so we'll see how things shake out. But probably find themselves at 7th, I believe, in the conference, which obviously you can make a run no matter where you are. As I said, all 11 teams will have a chance to make it. So... I'm excited to see how things play out. Hopefully they get back on track and continue to be on track, right? That game against BU is big, uh, but it's obviously an out-of-conference game. Hopefully they get back on track in Hockey East play this Friday night, which they'll be at home in Chestnut Hill versus UMass Amherst for the second-to-last home game of the year. Wow. Goes by fast. Doesn't it go quick? Uh, and one last thing I want to mention, uh, which we always talk BC sports, BC basketball, which they've had a couple big wins on the season. We've talked about it earlier in the year that – you really have to build a program in your first three seasons. You're not going to do it right away, right? You're never going to build a program right away and step in and be a powerhouse, especially the ACC, which has a lot of good basketball schools. But BC's beaten some ranked teams this year. They've beaten some ranked teams, obviously, beating Virginia Tech just about a week ago now, 82-76 to at Virginia Tech. They beat Clemson at home, which they were a ranked team, 62-54, uh, to which was a big win. Then they also beat Louisville, which Louisville's not great, but that's still a, a still an ACC win, 75-65. Louisville's the worst team in the ACC. But winning ACC games is tough for BC and years past. And you look at what they are this year in conference play, 6-9. Six 6-9, and nine. Six and nine, which isn't bad. And obviously, Earl Grant's been playing very well, uh, or coaching the team very well. The team's been playing very well uh, in late-game situations, which they've struggled in in years past. Uh, but what, what have you seen out of the team, Earl Grant? Obviously, I know you're a big Earl Grant guy, as I am as well. I think he's done a tremendous job. I mean, I, I like everything BC, but a couple of years ago, I think we went almost two full seasons without a conference win. Yeah, it was bad. Up to six wins already. I mean, with a couple of ranked teams. Clemson was 10-1 and one in the ACC when they came to the Heights, well, a couple of weeks ago. Last week. And we shut them down. Two weeks ago now it is, but yeah. 60 points or 50 points? 62-54, held them under 60, 54 points. And Oh, what did it mean? I mean, you got to give Coach Grant all the credit in the world. I mean, he's got a bunch of guys. Um, you know that that, that the last few years, like I said, they, they barely could win a conference game, and now they're beating at least two top twenty teams. Six conference wins is a huge step. I loved it. You know, it, like last year in the ACC tournament, he was like one win away from the the semifinals. I think um, losing to Miami in a last second buzzer beater. Yeah, yeah. Post has been scoring points. Zachary has got a tremendous first step. If, if they can just cut down on the turnovers, it's been a problem. I, I, I watch every game that I can on the ACC network, uh, ESPN, whatever. But um, turnovers continues to be a problem. And, of course, we discussed you know the free throw situation. You know, With the talent level it is in the ACC, they really can't afford turnovers and miss free throws. Yes, they've gotten better with it now in late-game centers, but they're still missing them. But they've been better as of late, which is huge. And credit to your boy, Quinton Post. Listen to his last... One, two, three, four, eight games. Last eight games. 17 points, 29 points, 22 points, 24 points, 10, 18, 24, and 20 points all in his last eight games. That's Nuts. Amazing. And he's been shooting well, too. I mean, look at his field goal percentage from those games, from three. From, it's like 50% overall. Overall, he's 41% from three on the year, 57.6% from the floor. And he shot 15 to 36 on three overall in the year, including three of three against Virginia Tech uh, just about a week ago now. BC beat them 
at Virginia Tech on the road. He was great in that game, 24 points, added in 10 rebounds, including four offensive boards in that game, which is huge. Me and you always say second-chance points is huge, and if you win that battle, you typically you know win a game if you win your second-chance points and obviously win uh, shooting the ball well. And BC's been doing that better as of late, too, and, and credit to Quinton Post stepping up. And also Jaden Zachary's been playing well, too, averaging 10 points on the year. Shooting 78.6 from the free throw line, which is probably second best or third best on the team. I believe it's Makayash and Langford, uh, Quinton Post, and then probably Zachary. Uh, but Zachary's been struggling a little bit from three, 32.9% from three, but he also does take a ton of threes every game. So the more you shoot, the more likely you are that your, your three-point percentage is going to be low. You know, that's just the way sports is, right? Like, Jaron Durant gets more plate appearances. You figure he's probably not going to be hitting 300 like he was in the first month of last season. That's just how sports go a lot of the time, right? That's how it breaks down. And I, and I think Makai Ashton Langford had a stretch of like two or three games where he didn't miss a free throw. So I, I, I think they're improving, you know, as far as the free throws go. But I but I think they got a couple of young guys. Um, a league bay. Yeah. A league bay is pretty good. And that transfer from, is it Cincinnati? That, Ma- that Mason Madsen, yeah. He could hit some three. So I, 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 I think they're going to be dangerous. Um, I, I, I hope they could, they're going to win at least two games in the ACC tournament. And then if you get that far, you know, you get a lot of momentum, a lot of confidence. I know they got talent, and I know the ACC is deep, but it's not as strong as it, you know, as it usually is. I mean, Duke, North Carolina used to be almost final four locks every year, but it's not the case right now. I mean, we almost beat Duke like a month ago. Yeah, right? they were in that game, lost it in the last minute. But uh, and you were right. You know your stuff. Ten straight games, Makayas and Langford, which he attempted a free throw nine of those ten games, did not That's miss a free throw in ten straight. Streak. And he's averaging 12.4 points per game, shooting 87.3% from the free throw line, and also shooting 40.1% from the floor. A lot of the shots are t- tough shots, right? He drives pretty hard down the lane. Uh, you know, similar to Russell Westbrook, goes pretty hard down the lane pretty quick, which him and Russ aren't the same player. But they throw their body in the air a certain way, and they go up and around guys, and, you know, go, you know, acrobatic, you know, uh, layups and try to, you know, you know, stretch around guys to get an angle. Uh, so that's obviously not the easiest thing uh, to be shooting in, the, in those situations. But he's been playing very well on defense. He was 38 steals on the year, including six against Clemson in that home game where BC beat them a few weeks ago now. Six steals, 15 points in that game, adding in a rebound as well, 2-2 from the free throw line and shooting 6-16 from the floor, which wasn't his best shooting night overall. But he, those six steals on defense made a huge difference. No, and, and, and again, I want to get back to Coach Grant for a minute. I, I like when he makes these adjustments – at halftime, he changes, you know, the, you know, like the defensive setup. Um, it's leading to a lot of turnovers against teams that probably have better athletes than, than Boston College. You know, they're faster, they're bigger, but he's forced a lot of turnovers the last couple of games, and, and that's going to, you know, help, hopefully help lead to easy baskets. Definitely. And they're shooting better from the free throw. I mean, they're 71% as a team right now, which, I mean, you'd like it to be probably better than that, but considering where BC was in the years past, 71% is better than it's been you know, before we've seen a lot of games where they're 50% from the free throw line and 55%. Uh, luckily, getting that up, and then also the turnovers as well, which they still you know are turning the ball over 12.2 times per game, but it's less than it was in years past as well. That's gotten better, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not afraid to pass, and maybe sometimes they make that two extra pass, and that's the one that gets stolen. But they, yeah, they got to protect the ball better, and it's it's not like they're getting the ball, you know, their, their pocket picked. I think the dribbling's been fine. It's it's that last pass. Maybe they try to forcing it. Times um, that's getting stolen. So if they cut down on that, 
that'll give them much better chances to win these close games. They do try to force it a good amount of the time. You're right about that. That does happen a lot. Where you try to force it into double coverage and try to get the ball to Quinton Post, let's say, when he's been hot. And sometimes you turn the ball over and you end up, you know, not getting right. uh, any luck, obviously, and the team makes a good play. But I saw that game against NC State on Saturday. Obviously, it was a tough game, but NC State is just unreal. I think they could legitimately go to the Sweet 16. That team could just shoot lights out. They shoot lights out, NC State. Yeah, they looked good the other night. I, I could see them being, uh, you know, maybe winning the ACC tournaments. I would agree with you there. They're 23 in the country right now, 20-6 and six overall. In that game against BC the other day, let me, get, let me get their stats up really quick. I want to see what they shot from three. It had to have been over 50%. That's just the top of the head, but let me see here. 50% from three, 15 to 30 from the three-point line. BC was 4 of 14. They shot 55.2% from four NC State and also had 38 rebounds to 32 against BC. Had 12 steals. Still turned the ball over 11 times. BC turned the ball over 17 times in that game. You're right. You know, turnovers are still an issue. Uh, but obviously going up against an opponent that can shoot lights out and two guys that can just shoot from half court. Jock Joyner had 26 points in that game and then Terquavion Smith had 17. The best back, uh, your backcourt duo in scoring in the in the ACC. Both of them put on a show there shooting. So it was a tough performance, but BC's been playing well as of late and they'll get a chance playing another top team in the country uh, when they head to Pittsburgh. Another top team, they're 18-7, but I don't think they're ranked, but still a very good team. Uh, they still have, I believe... A couple ranked games left, uh, if I remember right, which we'll see how they play in those games. But you like what you see out of Earl Grant. They've been making a lot of progress, and hopefully they continue that. Like you said, it's, it's about building a program and, and starting you know, some momentum. That's what they've been doing this season. Even last season as well, like you said. They, they've shown a lot of progress, and that's what you want. Earl Grant, obviously a great guy as well. We, uh, you've had the pleasure of meeting him. I've had the pleasure of meeting him multiple times now. Uh, he always, always gives you a hello and always says, you know, hello, how you doing? He's always been a good guy. So... Always root for those guys, even extra hard. Even with being a BC fan, uh, you're going to root for him. But when you know he's a great guy as well, it uh, makes it even better. Oh, yeah. He, he engages you. I mean, a couple of times we met him at the football games this past season, and he gets right in your face. You know, he looks you in the eye. He, he cares what you say back. You know, yeah. Very, he's very personable. BC still has Virginia to play this year as well, and they're a top team in the country. So we'll see how that happens. That'll be next Wednesday night, a week from tomorrow. At 7 o'clock on the Heights. And then BC will only have one more home game after that. March 4th, Saturday at 2.30 will be seen today. So just two home games left for BC hockey and BC basketball. It's crazy how quick the season goes, huh? Yeah, I, when's the Pittsburgh basketball game? Next. No, tomorrow night. I was going to say next Tuesday, but it's, it's tonight. Tonight. Wait, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. Tonight. Tuesday, 9 o'clock tonight on the ACC Network. Maybe, I was looking at the wrong day. At the call. That'd be great. Maybe Mita, yeah. John Mita Prowl's our boy. Maybe he'll be on the ACC Network calling it. He was at the Beanpot last night. They showed him a Jumbotron, actually. I forgot to mention oh, that to you. I didn't see that. Oh, nice. Which is awesome. Uh, at the finals game, they, they showed him, which is cool. Uh, we'll see how BC plays in that game. BC hockey right now for women's. Uh, the women's team is taking on Northeastern. As I said, Northeastern hockey in uh, women's is number five in the country. BC's number 15. Northeastern's up one nothing right now after a power play goal by Megan Carter. 9.48 uh, left to go in the first period. Northeastern finds himself um, up one nothing. But Northeastern heading into this game has won 15 straight games. Wow. 15 straight. And they find themselves only losing two games overall on the year, which is, which is nuts. I mean, it's just crazy. They can have only two losses on the year when you've played 30 games. You're 27-2-1. They had 22-2-1 in conference play, winning 15 games in a row. They're 14-0-1 at Matthews Arena and winning 15 games in a row, and a lot of them being by multiple goals. They, they, beat, three to, they beat UConn 3-2 to on Friday night. 
But then before that, four to one versus BU, four to one versus New Hampshire, four to four to nothing against Holy Cross, three to one versus Vermont, three to one versus Merrimack, five to nothing versus Maine, then one to nothing versus BC. That's a stretch of games right there, winning games by multiple goals, multiple goals. They're just a powerhouse, number five team in the country. But BC, BC women's hockey's been playing well though as of late, uh, and hopefully they get you a win. I know you're a big fan of them. Uh, every BC team you're a fan of, no, no matter what team it is, you're going to be rooting for them, right? Absolutely. That's just how it is, as you always say. It's, it's the Eagles. BC Hockey are coming in 18-12-1 on the year, winning four straight games uh, and winning against Harvard last week, 3 to nothing, and then also beating BU Saturday night at Aganis Arena, or at BU it was. I, th- I believe they played at Aganis 2-1 winning that game. So we'll see what happens in the games. Hopefully uh, it's a good one. As I said, it's one nothing so far in the first period. But anyways, Bob, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I'll have you come back on, maybe talk some Red Sox at some point in the next week, maybe next Tuesday night. Yeah, spring training starts today, so uh, let's get that done in the next couple days. For sure. For sure. I'll have you on next Tuesday. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure having you come on. Thank you so much for taking the time, and it always means a lot. Thank you. All right, Joe. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. Have a good night. Thank you. Joe, thanks. There you have it. There was Paul from Southie. What a pleasure always having him come on. As I said, he knows everything sports. We touched on just about everything. Talked a little bit of Red Sox there at the end, talking about, uh, obviously, spring training beginning. But we talked about everything but the NBA, really. We talked about college basketball, college hockey. Didn't mention college football, which we usually do. But college basketball, college hockey, and then, obviously, talking about the Super Bowl as well. Uh, He can talk about everything uh, in sports. It was always a pleasure having him come on. Uh, Give me one second to try to get Mark Walsh on here to talk about the bean pot for some some time here, maybe 10 to 15 minutes. And then maybe I'll close the episode uh, maybe with a minute or two of an update of what's going on in that women's bean pot game. Give me one second. going to text Mark and be back with you in just a minute. Yup, there he is. There's my boy, the legend hey, Mark Walsh, live on air. How are we doing, Mark? What's going on? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. No, it's a pleasure having you come on. Uh, as, as, as always, you can talk everything sports. So having you come on here is nothing short of a pleasure ever. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. We'll talk... Anything sports, we'll start off with the biggest storyline, at least in our sports world over the last day. Northeastern Hockey winning their fourth Beanpot in the last five tournaments, getting their eighth Beanpot title now, with four of them coming in the last five years, which is very impressive. They've gone on five straight championship runs. Obviously, losing last year to BU was tough in the finals game. But what a game for Northeastern. What a run. I mean, they beat two top ten teams in Harvard and BU. The two toughest teams in the tournament they went up against and obviously got a win against uh, both those teams. And I gave BC some credit as well. They went up against you know both teams with the first game being against Harvard. They lost only by a goal in OT and then ended up beating BU yesterday. So both of them played the toughest teams in the tournament, uh, but obviously Northeast ends up getting uh, the win and winning the Beanpot final. So we'll start off there, talk about that. What did you see in the game? What did you see out of the crowd? Anything you want to start with, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's great. It's it's. I mean, beyond great, really, how Northeastern's been able to turn their season around. Uh, I believe it was you who told me, I want to say December, they were 41 in the pairwise rankings. It was so, it was around there. I think it was like 39. Yeah, it was nuts. 39. 39, 40 I mean, it might have been. That's really low. And I mean, to go into the bean pot and beat two top 10 teams, obviously, after beating UConn, it was, I believe, top 15, maybe top they 10 were. at the time. They were, they were, they were 11. Well. They were 11. Yeah, and it seems like, uh, you know, they've really been able to turn their season around, and that's what I was hoping they'd be able to do. Um, Devin Levi single-handedly kept them in that game. I think, obviously, you know, the whole team contributed. I said it multiple times last night. I'll say it again. I think uh, just in the following the footsteps of Matt Grizzick, I think Gunnar Wolfontaine will go to the Beat Pot Hall of Fame. Dog. the future. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he scored last year uh, in the first round against BC. He did. And then, um, 
this year two goals in the championship game, and obviously uh, that led to the shootout winner for Maiden McDonough. Huge. Um, it's it's really been amazing to watch, and and you know now they're Northeasterns, you know, on the cusp of you know remaining in the top fifteen, top ten for the rest of the year. They've gone an unbelievable run, uh, and and it's just great the way this team has turned it around in a short time. Uh, you know, and it, it's really what they needed to do. You couldn't waste the talent like Devin Levi. You got a lot of seniors in this team, and guys were you know going to be going to the NHL at some point soon. Um, and it was just too much talent on this roster, like we've said for them to waste it, and I think it'll be great to see what they can do later in the year. Hockey's tournament coming up as well. Um, Definitely. It'll be a fun stretch. Definitely. If you look at their last nine games, they're 8-1 and one in their last nine games, yep. losing that one game in overtime, winning their last two in a shootout, but they're 8-1 and one in their last nine games, which I know technically a shootout win isn't, you know, it goes in as a tie technically in the scorebook, at least, in mm-hmm. the Hockey East, but... I can send wins in there. They're not losses. I mean, at the end of the yeah, day, that's, a, that's the thing. You win a shootout, but even yeah. you want to take those wins away, let's say there's six, you know, one and two in their last nine games. That's impressive. Of a, that's a very impressive stretch considering at one point they they lost six of seven. Yes, which can't happen, you know. That can't happen. And their only win was in an overtime when it's Long Island in that stretch uh, from the middle of November to the end of. Uh, not to the end of December, it was the beginning of January. January 1st, depending on the time, but that was their last uh, big loss, at least. And then they went on a stretch, and they're only lost since then. Since losing Harvard 8-4 to on January 1st, it was 4-3 to against UConn uh, a week and a half ago now at, on a Friday night in overtime at Matthews Arena. So, very impressive run. And if you look at this team, they're, they're, they're rolling. They're now number 15 in the pay-wise ranking, rankings, and they've beaten top teams now, mm-hmm. over the All stretch, the way, yeah. and the, let me just list really quick of those teams that should start at Frozen Fenway. You were there. You were there yep. for the turning point of the season. That's where it all started. They beat the number nine team in the country in UConn in that game. Then beat the number eleven team in UConn against UConn uh, in that following game the next Saturday after that. Beat the number eleven team in Merrimack at home and away. Then a couple games against unranked opponents, BC being one, and they beat UConn number 14, or one game. It was They're all against ranked opponents, actually, besides Providence and BC. Then beat the number three team in the country last Monday night at the TD Garden in the Beanpot semifinal. Then yep. I played Providence, beat them in a shootout on Friday night in Providence, Rhode Island, and then beat the number nine team in the country in Harvard last night, winning the Beanpot finals. So over that nine-game stretch, they played seven Ranked opponents, seven, with Providence and BC being the only ones that aren't ranked, and Northeastern has not lost in regulation against any of those teams. Which is unbelievable. I and mean, Devin Levi, I mean, he's, he's him. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's a reason that he won the best goalie award in college hockey, the Richard Award last year. Should have been the Hobie Baker as well. Uh, that's obviously a separate debate. Uh, but logically speaking, I mean, if he was going to win best goalie, he should have won MVP over another goalie. Um you know, he's obviously making a case for Hobie this year with the turnaround that he's had in his team as well. Uh, B-Plot MVP award for a reason, too. And uh, there's a reason that a lot of Sabres fans are so excited for him to uh, get into the NHL. I think I think he'll be great on the Sabres. I think, um, you know, I'm obviously wishing him and every other Husky the best success uh, in their future hockey endeavors as well. Love to see the guys in the pros doing well, especially guys like Jordan Harris, who me and you have been following closely. Yeah, he had two goals the other night. Yeah, plus four rating. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's always great to see him. He got the contract extension as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this team, this team has had a special turnaround, and I'm hoping it leads to a special finish of the year. Definitely, I'm excited to see you know where this team ends up. And one thing I actually just got a text from was my friend Jack, 
which I don't know what you're doing for the rest of the night. I know the Northeastern uh, BC women's bean pot finals right now. He said right now at the at Conti Forum for that game, the men's team's there with the bean pot. Wow. That's so awesome. I don't know what you do the rest of the I'm definitely pulling up that game. But I was going to say, I don't know if you want to make the trek out to Chestnut Hill. But um, that's pretty cool, though. He just texted me that now. I said I might just stop by, which I was going to the game anyways. But now i got to go up and say what's good to them. Uh, yeah, you know, why awesome. not? You might, have to, you might have to pull up. We'll see. I know you got work to do, though. You, you've had a busy week. <laughs> I know, may have to. May have to make an appearance with the game pot, of course. No, nah, for sure. For sure. I already know, I already know you'd pull up. Uh, if you didn't have work <laughs> to do, I know you would, which we'll, we'll see where we, we are at the end of this episode. But one thing I want to credit uh, in that game was obviously Gunnar Fontaine playing great, Devin Levi playing great, but then Aiden McDonough got the only goal in that shootout period and obviously ends up handing Northeastern that win. What a stretch, though, for Aiden McDonough. He's been yeah. great. I mean, he's a top three goal scorer in college hockey. Obviously, a senior coming back as a senior captain. He came in with the expectations of winning the bean pot, but also competing for a national championship. And now, Northeastern's finding themselves back in the mix to get back in there and be back in the Frozen Four tournament. So, what a stretch for the squad. It's more fitting for uh, McDonough to get the goal, I feel like. You know, captain of the team came back. He's from, he's a local kid. He's from Milton. Um, for him to, you know, deliver Northeastern to the promised land and hoist that bean pot trophy, I, I don't think he could have written it any better. I mean, it sucks that it ended in a shootout. Obviously, I feel bad for Harvard. My brother lives in the same floor as a lot of the Harvard hockey seniors. Uh, he's a huge Harvard hockey fan, so I have to feel for him. Uh, it's a great effort by those guys, Gibson as well. I mean, they've had an unbelievable year, and um, I'm, I'm just glad Northeastern was able to take it home. It was unreal. What a stretch. I mean, what it a really game. Was. What a game. I mean, we played two of the top ten teams in the country. You know, going against B was yep. number three, and then Harvard was number nine slash ten, depending on you know the pairwise and then the college hockey rankings. But very impressive stretch. Now they'll be playing Saturday night at Vermont, Obviously, another Hockey East game now, getting back into Hockey East play with, I was at being about being out of conference. But they're back in, though, playing Vermont Saturday night in Burlington, and me and you are going to be pulling up there. So that'll be our first, like, big road game. We went to UMass Lowell, I guess, and we also obviously went to the DCU Center for that game against Western Michigan. But that'll be an exciting game, and we'll, we'll be able to see them play on the road outside of the state. I know. It's, it'll be good stuff. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Definitely. I'm psyched. Obviously, and then they only have four games after that left. They have five games left total on the season, Vermont, wow. and then four games home and home against uh, UMass and UMass Lowell. So that's it for the rest of the season. They only have two home games left, just like BC Hockey, just like BC Basketball. I mean, it's just crazy how quick this season has run. Absolutely. I mean, it really has flown by. I remember at the end of last year saying, wow, it feels like forever until, you know, October and we get, you know, college hockey back. But, here we are now, just just a few short games away from the end of the season. Yeah, I'm excited to see how things go. Um, and especially if you look at it, in college hockey, any team can win the Hockey East tournament, right? So I was telling Paul for Southie just now when he came on, the most exciting time of the year is at the end of the season because even though Northeastern probably, which if we were to go, there's five games left, if Northeastern were to go three and two, maybe four and one in that five-game stretch, beating UMass, you have to beat UMass Amherst. I mean, they're a bottom team in college hockey right now uh, in, in the Hockey East. And then also in college hockey, I think they're around 30, 35 in the pairwise. Wow. But you have to beat those teams, you know, those teams you should beat up on. You should beat UMass Amherst. You beat Vermont. And UMass yeah. Lowell is a tough opponent. They've always been tough playing them. Northeastern typically is loses to UMass or at least splits with them the very best. If you go 4-1 and one in that stretch, I don't see why not Northeastern wouldn't be a top 12 to 13 team in the pairwise rankings and be able to make the Frozen Four tournament no matter what happens. Absolutely. But the best part yeah, of the, that's the best, a dream scenario for this team as well. The best part of the of college hockey is that anybody can make it though just by winning their tournaments. That's the exciting yep. thing, right? Yeah, and UMass Amherst twenty nine in the pairwise. So beating teams that are below you in the pairwise doesn't help too much. But I'll say this: you have to win the games against those teams because you lose a lot more than you gain losing to those bottom teams like UMass Amherst. 
U.S. Open 23 in the pairwise. Vermont right now is, I believe, lower in the pairwise than both of those teams. Let me see that. 48. So if these were to lose on Saturday, that would be devastating. They have to win Saturday night. Absolutely. They have to win because they'll fall from 15 to like 20 or 21 if they were to lose that game to Vermont. Which Vermont gave them trouble last year. Northeastern lost to Vermont last year on the road at the end of the season where they could have used it uh, and won that game and ended up losing that game. If they won that game, they would have clinched Hockey East, uh, you know, regular season title earlier than they would have, you know, winning yeah. the game against Merrimack in the last second, you know, acrobatically and, and heroically. But those are games that are trap games for Northeast. It seems like on the road at the end of the season when they're on the highest of highs. But I think they can win this game Saturday night. Uh, I'm excited to see what they look like. But this will be our first real road game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, pro teams travel a lot further and more frequently. Uh, but, you know, for a team like Northeast to be playing up there, it'll be exciting to, you know, go show our support. So Definitely. Yeah. I'm excited to see what they look like. Uh, yeah. You know, especially on the road like that. It'd be, I think it'll be exciting. And I'm sure they'll be psyched to see us, too, because... How many Northeast fans are going to make the trek up to Burlington, Vermont? Yeah, no kidding. Am I wrong? Sure like, it doesn't happen often. But uh, we'll stay on the college hockey. We'll talk, stay on the hockey talk. We'll switch over to the Bruins really quick. B 6-3-1 in their last 10. They have been struggling a little bit as of late. Four, four or five of their last games, uh, they lost one in a shootout, or one in OT, lost three in regulation, only won one of those five games. Um, but what have you seen out of the Bees, though? They're still great, 39-8-5 on the year, and obviously we still have high hopes for them, but are on a little bit of downtrend, which it happens in a season, right? You're not going to stay yeah. perfect the whole season, right? You're going to have spurts, you know, wins and losses, just like in basketball, right? Basketball is a game of runs. Every sport in a season, it's a game of runs and a game of streaks. That's just a reality. But what have you seen out of the Bees? And, and obviously, considering how good they've been, Overall on the year, even if they go, you know, one and four, one, three and one in a five game stretch, you're still, still going to have the confidence in them, right? You're not going to lose yeah. confidence. Yeah, absolutely. So I think at, at some point a backslide was was going to happen. You know, this team was playing at the highest level for so long. And even if uh, even if, you know, this this slide happened, I'd rather it happen now. And now kind of learn how to face that adversity before you're consistently playing great competition at the highest level in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you saw a team like Tampa Bay who finished with the best record in uh, NHL history for a regular season go into the playoffs and get swept. And, uh, you know, they obviously came back and went to the Cup three years in a row. <laughs> next uh, next year, they obviously went to the Cup and won it. Um, they won a couple of those, right? Two or three? Yeah, two in a row, two in a row. And then... Uh, Lost last year. As well. But... Um, I think this team, this team obviously has shown a lot of heart uh, throughout the year. They've said it's a very special group, and I think their record shows that. Uh, but, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's hard to continually look at it and say, you know, we better to get the losses and the adversity out of the way now. You obviously want to see them start to bounce back and keep consistently winning games because especially with the age of, you know, very key contributors on this team like Bergeron, Marchand, you know, Felino as well. I'm Definitely. You want to be able to get to a point where at the end of the year, especially with the lead that they've had in the division so far, knock on wood, that they can kind of rest those guys going into the playoffs. Definitely. Because those guys are going to need it, you know? Definitely. No, I'm with there's you there for sure. Mileage. There's a lot of mileage on those guys. They've been playing, you know, hard all season. Uh, and if you can give them even just a couple games off at the end of the year when, you know, other teams are fighting for a playoff spot or positioning, um, and if you can kind of clinch that, number one seed and you don't have to worry about it, I think that will be huge for this team. Definitely. And considering how good they've been scoring goals-wise, I mean, their backups probably can actually keep up even without, you know, Poster and Bergeron and Marshall playing, right? I think the backups could even keep the bees in some games. Uh, but one thing I want to mention was Poster, how great of a season. He's having 38 goals, obviously, on the year, 34 assists. 
72 points. He, this is a contract here for him. What do you think he gets? I mean, I've heard I've heard 11 mil neighborhood, maybe like eight years, 11 million. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say, 11 to 88. Yeah, which is which is a lot, uh, but I, I think he's worth it. I think I heard before the year even started, you know, Coach Montgomery's system, he was going to come in and kind of like light a fire under Pasta, and he was going to he was going to be great this year. But I, I feel like the whole team's been great, and uh, I think Pasta, you know, his age, he's a guy that the Bruins are going to want to keep around for a long time, and uh, I I have faith that. Management will be able to get it done. I think eight for eleven uh, or eleven for eight years is is reasonable, which is crazy to say because you know the Bruins haven't had like a ten million dollar plus player really. Yeah, um, none, right? No, I don't think you're really any to my yeah, knowledge. I mean, McAvoy just got a lucrative extension. McAvoy got some money. Chuka got a little money, but I don't think it was ever over yeah. ten. Um, but a lot of the guys like Martian take taking pay cuts his whole career and things like that. Definitely. Um, the salary cap projected to go up in the way that they kind of scale the contracts to be worth more on the back end than the front. Um, it'll enable the Bruins to compete in this window um, when they do extend him and everything like that. And we'll kind of just see how the future unfolds. But I think he's a guy that you've got to keep around. Definitely. No, you have to. He's a premier scorer in the NHL. I think he's probably top three slap shot in the league. Anytime you see him from, you know, from the slot, it's a yeah. goal. it seems like it's a goal every time. It's like Travis yeah, Kelsey. Absolutely. He's open every single time you look up. Just like, yeah. just like Posture, you actually give him a little bit of room and set him up, it seems like it's a goal every time. Even though he's only yeah, made, absolutely. I think it was 15% of his shots on the year, which is still pretty good. It seems like he yeah. scores every time he touches the puck. He has like the he has probably one of the most lethal shots in the league. I don't think that's a debate. Top three, I'd say, right? Top five, maybe? Yeah, great hands, great chemistry. I think, you know, they just lock up a guy like Zaka, who he could remain line mates with uh, moving forward because they've been able to really get that line going this year. Um, but you don't, you don't see goal scorers like him come around often. And I think even just the threat of him on the ice, like you see the way defenses move towards him on the power play. I think, um, you know, he's just such a uh, presence, you know, um, on the ice. And just the, the things that he's able to do, the teams have to scheme for him. Definitely. He's way, so. No, he's an absolute stud. And that's the thing. you got to keep him on your roster at all costs. can't let him leave. Especially to go to, I mean, there's going to be a team that would pay him probably $11 million. I think the Bees have to do it. There's going to be other teams that would pay it, I believe. You oh, know? absolutely. So that's just reality. The worst case scenario is to kind of let it get to that point where he would hit the open market. Because yeah. the team will start offering more. And whether or not, you know, that's solely for leverage and Pasta does want to spend the rest of his career here. You know, I'd rather him sign that contract sooner rather than later have him locked up going into free agency. Because it seems like every league, the contracts are just getting higher and higher every offseason. So... Definitely. I'm with you there. That's the thing. you gotta, you got to lock him up, which I don't think they're going to do it mid-season. It seems like there's too much momentum in the season. They're probably not going to pay him mid-season. And I don't know what he said about it, if he's going to talk during the season or not, but a lot of the time guys will say, I'm not going to talk about it you know, during the season. I'll wait. But with that being said, the Beast have extended some guys you know, mid-season. So we'll see how things were to work out there. But um, the Beast are focused, obviously, locked in on this season. I think that's probably what he's mostly focused on right now, even though he knows he's going to get himself a good payday. Whether it be you know now or at the end of the season, obviously the off season, you know, you got to keep him around. And one guy we want to mention, which he's not really the biggest name on the team, but it's a guy we met last week, Nick Foligno. What an absolute beast, huh? Yeah, he's, he's a great guy, uh, locker room guy, and I mean he's offered a lot more than that on the ice this year. He's been he's been a key contributor, and uh, I, I think he's been a real real asset for this team. And I love love to see him uh, kind of like reignite his game this year. He's been playing great. I mean, look at his yeah. stats overall in the year: eight goals, thirteen assists. 21 total points uh, in 52 games played. He stays pretty healthy, too, which is good. You always need guys 
that are available. And the bees, for the most part, have been healthy for the just about all the season. I'd say mostly, uh, which obviously helps, you know, for the, to their record. But um, yeah, you I never want to. Brusque and uh, Noshik, who are supposed to be coming back soon, I think Brusque would be huge. Yeah. Besides Debrusque, yeah. And, and then obviously uh, Noshik as well. Both those guys have been hurt for. I mean, Debrusque has been hurt since the Winter Classic, right? And then uh, I, I would say, that, what was that? That was a foot injury, right? That was probably January like 5th, 6th or something, I'd say, or somewhere around there. Yeah, uh, it was like January 2nd, I believe, it was Winter Classic. So it's been almost a month and a half now. But yeah. I mean, here's my thing is, you know, with the way this team has been able to play, obviously, recently a little slide. Make sure that make sure that the guys who were injured and coming back, like the Brusky Noshik, make sure they're hundred ten percent. Don't try to rush them back, like and risk re-injury in any way. And I know that the Bruins medical staff has been good about that, but just where they are in the standings, it's not worth risking, you know, uh, re-injury in any way when uh, they can make sure that these guys are back. I mean, you look at Marshan and McAvoy, and they were out to start the year, and then this team started its incredible run that they've had. And those are two of the biggest guys in this team, and, and they weren't even there f- for the start of it. And, uh, you know, the rest of the team was able to pick them up, and I'm hoping that they can continue to do the same uh, for DeBrusque and Oshik, those guys who have been out, who are supposed to be returning soon. But hopefully they'll be at full health and they can stay that way for the rest of the year. Definitely. The and tonight's a big night for them, playing Dallas, obviously on the road, 8.30 tonight. Dallas, 10th in the league in goals per game, 3.31. The Bees are at second in the league at 3.67. They have the two best goals against averages in the league. B's giving up 2.1 uh, goals per game, and then you got Dallas giving up 2.5 goals per game, which is second best in the league. So pretty impressive matchup tonight. Obviously, Dallas um, you know, is a pretty good team overall, 30, 14, and 10. But with that being said, though, this is a great game for the Bees to beat a good team, get back on track, get some momentum, and then lock in. I, I wouldn't say it's – it wasn't like the Clippers or Northeastern Hockey where they were struggling so much where you had to flip a switch and say, okay, we're better than this. This is only a four-game stretch. If the Bees were to – you know, if they lost – Eight out of ten games, then I'd say, okay, you got to flip a switch, get back on track. But four or yeah, five, absolutely. four or five, I don't think it's an urgent, you know, thing. We have to flip a switch. But for Northeastern, the Clippers, they, it was an urgent time. Let's flip a switch, get back on track. But I don't think the bees are in that range right now, especially if you were to lose the Stars. The Stars are a good team, you know. So, but it's a good game tonight, and this is a tough road trip for the bees, playing Dallas and then playing Nashville as well. Even though Nashville's not not having as good of a season as have had in years past. Two tough teams on the road, and they're back home against Dan's team, the Islanders, Saturday night. So, two game stretch right there, and hopefully, uh, you know, they get a win tonight against Dallas. And obviously, Dallas has your former boy, uh, Tyler Sagan. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously, it's, it'll be great for this team to get back on track. I think they need to, uh, you know, kind of just right the ship in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, obviously, we'll see how the home stretch turns out, but I'd love for them to lock up the, you know, the, the division as soon as they can. And, uh, you know, be ready for the playoffs because that's what this team has their eyes on. You know, it's not just about regular season titles around here. It never has been. And uh, I think this team knows they're a special group. I'm hoping they can live up to that. Definitely. I would agree with you there. I think, I think it's every Boston sport for the most part. Besides the yeah. Red Sox, I guess. Every team's <laughs> pretty committed to wanting to win. I mean, the Patriots had a tough season this year, but, I mean, they didn't really have the team to, to win a Super Bowl right now. But for everyone else, I mean, the Bruins the South, both of them want to win right now. Uh, the Patriots obviously won enough in years past where you're okay with them. The Red Sox, I mean, being last in the division, a good amount in the last, you know, five, six seasons is obviously tough. But uh, within, uh, you know, our run to the ALCS, I guess, you know, not everything uh, has been bad for the Sox in years past. But you're right, though. Boston sports compete to win. That's a great point. Yeah. You compete to want to win. And uh, one last thing I want to mention, which I won't hold you too much on, I know the bees are coming on in about 10 minutes. Uh, one thing I want to mention, though, Patriots offseason, what's your main 
your main need for the Patriots this offseason. I mean, Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, you probably got to figure out what's going on there. I'd imagine you'd roll with, with Mac Jones, but is it a wide receiver? Is it offensive line? You got Bill O'Brien. You got your offensive coordinator that you wanted, and shout out to Matt Walsh. He was the one that wanted Bill O'Brien, and also Timmy Loftus listens into the show all the time. He, he wanted uh, Bill O'Brien for a while as well, so both of them uh, you know, had good uh, vision into the future, knowing that the Patriots would bring both those guys in. But what do you think the biggest needs are for the Patriots, the number one biggest need in, in, in this offseason? So, I mean, beyond the, what I would have said was the biggest need, uh, which was the offensive coordinator. Um, and obviously, it's great that they got Bill O'Brien. I think they continue to roll with Mac, like you said. Obviously, um, the beginning of the season next year will shape whether or not they defer to Zappi. Uh, maybe training camp will change, uh, change that, but I think it will be decided next year. I think it's, it's tough because Bill hasn't historically been great at drafting wide receivers, but maybe looking for a wide receiver in the draft. Uh, maybe you're looking for a wide receiver via trade. Uh, a lot of names have been kind of teased on the market in a way. T. Uh, Higgins, DeAndre Bill, Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And Bill will always be looking to uh, Belichick, that is not O'Brien. <laughs> to make a move on that front and buy low on a guy that, you know, a team may be looking to shop. Um, but yeah, I think I think a wide receiver would help tremendously with Mac as well and kind of help him have a bounce back year. The defense wasn't bad, and I mean, this team was a few mistakes away from clinching the playoff berth, and maybe, you know, a lot of this talk about shaking things up would have been a lot more um, laid back in a way. But, you know, Kraft, first and foremost, is always worried about the team's success and winning, and I think that's what it will come down to at the end of the day is, uh, you know, trying to get this team back on track and have them compete in the division and, you know, for titles and whether or not that's sooner rather than later is, you know, yet to be determined. Um, it, it's obviously not the Brady era anymore, and we'll just have to see how it unfolds. But I think you got to help. You got to help Mac. You got to help Zappy if it's him. You got to get another weapon who's going to be able to, you know, help get the ball down the field because that's 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 just something that they've been lacking. Definitely, and that's what you have to figure out in the off season is a new system. Which I don't know if they're going to stay with the Shanahan system. I mean. That's a good question of whether or not they roll with that. I mean, that's the only person can really answer that is Bill Belichick. But they had to figure things out, obviously, playbook-wise. Now you got Bill O'Brien in there, and he worked out very well with Alabama. And obviously, in years past, Bill O'Brien was a good head coach, just really wasn't a great GM. And that's the reason he ended up losing his head coaching and GM job in Houston, since he wasn't really great at making offseason moves and trading two first-round picks of Laramie Tunsil and trading DeAndre Hopkins you know, for a draft pick in, in, in David Johnson. It just didn't really work as a GM, but he's a great mind for the game of football. That's obviously an improvement over Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. I think wide receiver one would be huge. Uh, depending on what you can get, I mean, you might get a guy that was a wide receiver two on some teams, like Christian Kirk was, and you end up getting him and then making him a wide receiver one. Look at what Christian Kirk did for Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely. So it makes a big difference. Look at... Look what Jamar Chase did, which Jamar Chase, when he was drafted, everyone knew he was going to be wide receiver one. But look what Jamar Chase did for Joe Burrow. Look at what uh, Devontae Adams did for Aaron Rodgers. It makes a big difference when you have a guy to throw to. Stephon Diggs for Josh Allen. It makes a huge difference when you have a top receiver to throw to. And that's what I think Max Jones has been lacking. That's why I feel bad for Max to a degree because even though Jacoby Myers is good, he's not a wide receiver one. Yep, and I think they need that certified playmaker on the outside i mean it's going to make a huge difference and uh you know the sooner that they can get that from mac the better it will be for him in this offense and obviously this team uh and i think you brought up a lot of good examples there i mean i honestly not even all of those came to mind but you know to get that number one guy or even turn a number two guy into the number one uh which you know like you said in christian kirk's situation 
that would do that would do a lot for Mac Jones and uh, this offense, and honestly, would make Patriots football a lot more enjoyable going into next year. So. Hopefully they can make that move and uh, make it happen. Definitely. And you look at one more guy I want to mention, Jalen Hurts with A.J. Browns. You had Devontae, Adams, yep. uh, Devontae Smith already. Already had Smith in that offense. But you add a guy like A.J. Brown, big receiver that can stretch the field, and it makes a huge difference for the quarterback. The run game even as well, because you have to you know account more for the pass game than you did before. The Patriots ran the ball very well this year, so when they did drop back to throw, you know the defense, for the most part, wasn't as worried about the Patriots' pass game as they were the run game. You know, that, that's one that you want them to be evenly balanced and want them to worry about both sides of the ball, you know, whether it be passing or, or the run game. You want the defense to be honest in both parts of the Patriots. Pass game wasn't as great this year, and I thought going into the season, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, I thought that was going to be a downgrade uh, for Joe, uh, for, not Joe Judge, for Mac Jones from what he had with Josh McDaniels. So we'll see how it works out for the Patriots, though, and I'm rooting for them to figure things out in the offseason with. Obviously, the Dolphins getting better, the Jets getting better, which who knows what happens with Derek Carr. And then you look at the Bills obviously being as good as they are, too. The Patriots really to get things figured out this offseason since the division's getting better around them. Uh, and where do you think Derek Carr goes? I mean, it's a question off topic now for the Patriots. But with them being cut today by the Raiders, they save $34 million. I believe he was getting $40 million between this season and next season. Uh, and they end up only chewing, I think, $6 million in dead cap this year. Where do you think he goes? Um, I mean, that's a good question. I think the first domino to fall is going to be uh, Rodgers. I think, yeah, you know, I think Derek Carr will kind of just be waiting back and then kind of see how the QB market unfolds around him. Uh, just because, you know, he's he's a big name. And even at his age, you know, obviously he's still going to be sought after by teams that feel like they're a quarterback away from contending for a Super Bowl or, you know, um, making that huge next step like the Jets. Um for some reason, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the Jets. The Jets are in the mix. The Jets, the yeah. Raiders. That's a Rogers. Yeah. Jets, Raiders. Um, I, I believe it's probably those two, Justin Myers. Maybe the Dolphins. I mean, a crazy pick. Maybe the Dolphins if, see what they do with Tua. Then you obviously got Jimmy G. He's an option. Jimmy Garoppolo will see where he goes. Tom Brady's another option. I mean, obviously it didn't work out, but that was a big question going into this offseason was where Tom Brady's going to go. And then obviously you obviously have Aaron Rodgers. Derek, it's Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, Jimmy G, and then even Lamar Jackson in the mix. So I think he'll be franchise tagged. Yeah, I mean, Derek Carr could end up in a place like Tampa, you know? like Definitely. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I mean, he could end up there. I mean, if Rodgers leaves Green Bay, I mean, depending on, you know, uh, what the situation is going to look like contract-wise, he could end up in Green Bay as well, you know, kind of like swap places because a lot of people are speculating that Rodgers will end up back with Devontae Adams, and I mean... You know, if they can reignite that connection in Vegas and, uh, you know, they could they could take it to the next gear. Here's what I think about Vegas, just real quick. He good. Is, I mean, obviously, Minnesota season didn't end well in the playoffs. You know, the Giants got the best of them, which is... Thank God, know, huh? Oh, you, you, you and I were rooting for. Of <laughs> course. You called it. Yeah, I mean, the year before this year, um, the Vikings lost a ton of, like, one-score games. And then this year, they won a bunch of one-score games. Yeah, they were 11-0 at one point. <laughs> Vegas ended up on the wrong side of, I think it was every single one-score game that they were in, if I'm not mistaken. Which is um, tough. It was a it was a lot. It was like at least eight, I want to say. Um, and you know, I've obviously McDaniel's got a lot of hate, and uh, you know they didn't live up to expectations. But I feel like next year, I think next year they'll they'll be able to take the next step. And uh, I think I think the Raiders make the playoffs. But we'll I hope see, so. We'll see how the quarterback situation unfolds. That's obviously contingent on. Them rolling with a guy that's not Jared Stidham. Definitely not with you there. And there's even a second tier of quarterbacks and of free agents in this in this market, right? We'll see what the Raiders end up doing. But Matt Ryan, 
probably washed up maybe now. I don't know. I didn't really look great in that cold system, but maybe if he goes to the right situation, the right place, maybe he looks good again. You got Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, probably uh, will be cut at some point, maybe. That's like the second tier of the free agent quarterbacks. Uh, but yeah. that the first tier. I was probably the Jimmy G, Derek Carr, Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's a tier. There's a tier A and a tier B of the tier ones, guys. But with what I'm saying here is there's going to be options for teams to figure out what they're going to do and we'll see where the Raiders go, but I don't think they're going to go and get a guy like Carson Wentz. I think they're probably going to go all in and maybe get a guy like Aaron Rodgers, maybe yeah. even Jimmy G, which I think you can win with Jimmy G. He's always been a respectable starter in the NFL every yeah, year he's I been mean, in the league. Uh, Josh McDaniels, you know what I mean? There's a familiarity there as well. It's a great point. Oh. That's a great point. That's why I thought Jimmy G, uh, not Jimmy G, that's why I thought Brady was going to go to the Raiders since obviously Josh McDaniels yeah. was there. But obviously it didn't work out. But your boy Brady had a hell of a career, so... It's fine oh, hanging absolutely. up the cleats. The best of the best, but I, I gained more respect for him over time. I did, but you know that, and, and you, you credit me drafting fantasy to the turning point. Twenty twenty one. In your uh, in your viewership of Brady, once you drafted him in fantasy, you appreciated him. August of twenty twenty one. I said, you know what, I want to win. What can you do? And Brady, Brady was a winner, so uh, you can't can't deny him of that, right? Can't deny the talent of the greatness there. Absolutely. That's it. But anyways, Mark, I won't take up too much of your time. I know you got the bees coming on in just a few minutes, but. Thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure. We'll have you on. Hopefully in the next week or two, I'll probably be doing uh, more NFL talk in the next couple of weeks, talking about free agency, give some predictions to that, maybe NFL draft, and even uh, updates on the Bs. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Celts as well at some point. The Red Sox are starting spring training as well, which Tim Loftus pointed out too, which there's nothing better than the baseball season. So have you back on to talk about all those things, hopefully uh, in the next few weeks, even Northeastern hockey. Maybe we'll do an episode in St. Mike's, uh, at St. Mike's this weekend. Uh, I mean, why not at the end of the day, right? Do one with yeah. Ryan Hosey. With Fat Hosey. I mean, why not? Yeah. You already well, know. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, as always, you know, go Huskies. Go Huskies, baby. You already know. I appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. Thank you again. Uh, thank you. The legend, Mark Walsh. There you have it. Thank you, Mark. Have a good night. You too. There he is, the legend, Mark Walsh. So we had two legends come on tonight. The legend, Mark Walsh, and Paul from Southie. Uh, nothing short of a pleasure to have both of them come on. Uh, as I said, they talk everything sports. We covered just about everything uh, in sports in this episode. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. I'm going to give you guys a quick update of that Northeastern and BC women's beanpot game. Uh, and then I'll probably close out the episode with a couple songs and uh, figure things out from there. So right now, Northeastern's up, which accredited Mia Brown for that power play goal in the first period. Megan Carter gets the assist from Skyler Irving as well, getting assist too. one nothing Northeastern in the second period uh, with 14 minutes to go, uh, so just midway through the second period. Uh, it's on Nesson Plus as well, so if anyone wants to tune in, I know my dad, Paul from Southie, will definitely be listening uh, or watching that game, whether it's on the radio or watching the game on Nesson. But thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I'm definitely going to do a couple podcast uploads um, in the next few days. I want to do an NBA trade uh, deadline talk in the next few days and also potentially this weekend, maybe do a quick podcast uh, recording with my friends up in Vermont. I'll have Cap Curley, the Benning Prodigy, Paul Gerard. I'll have the legend Mark Walsh. You'll have Ryan Fat Hosey Hosey. And then you also have St. Michael's ace, Joey Hosey, all of them in Vermont. So we'll see if I can get a podcast upload over the weekend. I'll keep you guys updated on that. Uh, but thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. I appreciate it. It does mean a lot to me. Hopefully everyone had a great Valentine's Day. Hopefully you guys enjoy the last three and a half hours of it. Uh, at the end of this episode, I'm going to play a couple quick songs, uh, maybe two or three of them. Uh, you know, For everyone listening out there, I'll play a couple uh, you know, love songs that relate to Valentine's Day. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. I'll play three songs. Uh, I'll name them right now for people that want to listen in. Build Me Up Buttercup. We'll start off with that. I know Tim Loftus and my mom are big fans of that song. So 
We'll play that to start. I'll play Boy With Love by BTS as the second song. And then I'll figure out the third song, uh, maybe Crown, uh, which is a song by TXT, a, a Korean uh, band, K-pop band that my siblings are big uh, fans of. And then maybe a One Direction song to close out. So I'll play four songs to close. Build Me Up Buttercup. Then we'll have uh, Boy With Love by BTS. Then we'll have Crown, uh, which is a song uh, by TXT. And then I'll play uh, a fourth song, which got to figure out what it's going to be um, by One Direction. So thank you guys for listening. As always, I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Hope you guys enjoy the music. Playing the last four songs for everyone listening in. Uh, it does mean a lot that you guys take the time to listen. So a few quick shout-outs. Shout-out Timmy Loftus. Shout-out Auntie Lisa. Shout-out to the Keith family. Shout-out to the O'Malley family. Shout-out to my, my mom, my dad, all my siblings, all my friends. Shout-out to Mark Walsh, the legend. And shout-out to Paul from Southie for coming on. It always does mean a lot to me. So I appreciate it. And shout-out to the Loftus family as a whole. You guys are the best. Uh, it does mean a ton to me. So thank you guys for listening in. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good night. Take it easy. Stay safe. Stay, stay well. I'll be back on air live next Tuesday night in the WZBC studio here uh, at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. I will be doing a couple podcast uploads uh, before then, so I'll keep you guys posted on that. Thank you guys again. Have a good one. Stay safe and well, and enjoy the rest of your Valentine's Day uh, and night. Thank you, guys.